make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to Polite Conversations, episode 15. I've got Michael Sherlock with me today. Uh, speaking all the way from Japan. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be here, Michael. Uh, thank you, Ina, for having me on. Thank you for pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing you're Pakistani, right? Pakistani-Canadian? Yes. Yeah, I have Pakistani friends in Australia as well, but you're the first Ina I've met, so cool. Yeah, because it's not really a name, it's a word. What does it mean? Mirror. Urdu. Yes, it is Urdu. Mira. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> so how's it going? It's going good. How's um, that side of the world? How's the future? It's <laughs> it's all grim. Oh um, dear. No, no, it's actually it's it's cooling down a little bit. It's still quite warm here in Japan, but um, no, it's slowly cooling down, and um, North Korea hasn't evaporated us yet, so that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I always find you to be such a refreshing voice on Twitter because it just seems to be harder and harder now to find like left-leaning atheists. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I find a lot of pseudo left-leaning atheists, and by pseudo I mean either uh, right-wing atheists who call themselves left or ultra-left-leaning atheists who have just gone round to the right from the other side. I mean, they're so left that they've gone yeah. right round to the right. Yeah. So it's very hard uh, to find people who I think just – balance their opinions and balance the information they receive. I think it's very difficult. Um, but the fact that you, you class me in that group, I, I really sincerely appreciate that. No, like you're absolutely like a, a rare voice of sanity. I think you're a bit more left than me, so we don't always agree on everything, but... Um, How what? That's 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 an atrocity. How can two minds not agree on absolutely everything? <laughs> I know, and then still talk to each other in a civil manner. We're supposed to. If you disagree with one of my opinions, I hate all of you. Absolutely. Um, every opinion, every other opinion, even if they line up with mine, I just can't stand people that have one different opinion. It just it bugs me. <laughs> you sound like so many people on Twitter. Well, it's because I'm omniscient, you see, and so if I if you're you disagree with me, you're obviously wrong. It can't be me. Obviously, right? You're yeah. never wrong. No, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, you, you know you've been doing some interesting uh, trolling lately, I guess, on Twitter mm. um, when you tweet about things like white privilege, you mm. upset a lot of people. Why do you think that is? 
Uh, I think there's a, there's a combination of factors, I think. When I tweet about white privilege, I'm doing so from a perspective of someone who studied it in sociology. And <clears throat> I do concede that within sociology, there is, there is what I would call a regressive left, uh, a pervasive regressive leftist kind of movement. But to dismiss the data and the qualitative research on white privilege, I think, is out of hand without even investigating it, I think is the definition of willful ignorance. Um, why does it upset people? I think because there are some activists on the left who uh, make claims such as all white people are racists and yeah. white supremacy is everywhere. And I think they make these absurd claims. And you I know, think I've been called a white supremacist more times than I even remember, actually, just for being a critic of Islam. I think that would be a great Twitter handle, the Pakistani white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think part of it is a reaction to that kind of activism. Uh, I think it depends on the it depends on so many factors. It depends on the country that the person is coming from who's reacting to it. It depends on the group they belong to within that society. It depends on their own individual psychology. Uh, it could be uh, a manifestation of um, irrational guilt. Uh, some white people react to the existence of this fact uh, with a, a deep sense of guilt, and that can manifest in a variety of ways depending on the person's psychology, I think. So it can manifest in a way that you become more sympathetic to the fact that white privilege exists in white majority countries, or it can manifest in a kind of a, almost a childish-like rebellion against the concept itself. And so I think it depends on the individual psyche, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Largely, anyway. Yeah, but there's also uh, this regressivist, anti-regressive left movement. Which has become open. pretty regressive in itself, don't you think? It has. It, it employs the same kind of, I guess, heuristic thinking, or I say thinking in quote marks, but it employs the same kind of, um, yeah, unthinking that the regressive left employ, but it's in reaction to the regressive left. Right, but they're just mirroring the tribalism, the identity politics. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think as human beings, it's very hard to escape tribalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do it, and a lot of people do do it, but it, it is very difficult because we are social animals. We do seek to identify and find mirrors of ourselves in others and groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is very difficult to escape. But, yeah, I've noticed that. So why do people object to it? I think there's a, a number of various, you know, social and psychological reasons why people object to the concept. And it's not just white people who object to the concept No, either. no, yeah, I've seen all, all types. Yeah, so it, it, it can be seen, particularly if you don't understand it. Um, well, what bothers me is this all-or-nothing attitude. Either it's like people who are shrieking about it being everywhere in everything, or there's people being defensive and saying, like, oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I just, I, why can't we, you know, too often we just can't find that reasonable middle ground on things. Either racism is everywhere or racism is nowhere. White privilege is everywhere or white privilege is nowhere. You exactly. Know? 
Yep, and that that's a huge problem. Uh, this polarization that's going on, it, it just leads to such ill-contrived conclusions with regards to such you know matters. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, even though, like, I guess I don't. Um actively tweet about some of these things like white privilege or BLM I find it interesting to watch the responses to you kind of triggering to to borrow a word from the I guess first the regressives and then the (laughs) anti-regressives but triggering has been appropriated by all sorts too hasn't it Um, it has it's amusing to, to watch you triggering certain types of people yeah, and I, I think I, I enjoy doing that. Uh, when I find, I, if I tweet something that gets a really hostile and angry reaction, I tend to, like, just hammer on that point for a little while just to get people really worked up. Um, because I, I just don't see the sense in it, to be honest. Like, yeah, I don't know. So you're interested in social justice, right? Like, not in the social justice warrior sense, but in equality and race issues and sexism issues and I think you identify as a feminist yes uh, I mean these are just becoming like rarer and rarer things to see on, in the online atheist community and it's just uh, it's I don't know how to say this without pissing off a lot of people but it's just nice to see that some of that still exists you know some good old fashioned um, concern about racism, sexism, some left-leaning values. Well, I think that a lot of the atheists who are so anti, um, you know, discussing issues with regards to, say, racial inequality and gender inequality and these issues, they're so concerned with the minority rights in the Muslim world. But when it comes to the West, they just don't want to talk about it or they they, they want to ignore that there is any kind of, uh, you know, inequality at all. Yeah. And I think it's an inconsistency in principles. I mean, why are you so concerned with minority rights in the Muslim world if you're not with minority rights in the West? Right. And, I th- and my whole thing is I like to employ my principles consistently. So I advocate for minority rights in the Muslim world. I advocate for minority rights in the West. Anywhere minorities are oppressed, anywhere that the, the society itself is harder for some, I want to be there and say, look, well, you have my support. And that's very hard to do, as you said, right now within the atheist community in the West. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a very adverse reaction to it. And But then if I tweet something about, say, Muslim minority, minorities in the Muslim world. You get world, like right? 10,000 retweets in a second, right? Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And, and like I get genuine support from Muslims in the Muslim world, mm-hmm. from from secularist Muslims and from ex-Muslims particularly in, in the Muslim world and, and who are from the Muslim world. And I expect, like, I understand that. I'm not expect I understand that because, well, they've suffered it. Mm-hmm. But okay, why are you supporting as a Westerner? Why are you supporting minority rights in the Muslim world and you can't even see the problems in your own backyard? I think, I don't know, it's an inconsistency. I couldn't agree more. I mean, every time I try to tweet about, like, I live in the West, so I see it here. I see sexism here in my everyday life. Obviously, Mm. I don't see sexism in, like, oh, if some dude is wearing a pinup girl on his shirt or whatever, like, that's ridiculous, but... Uh, 
there obviously not everything has to be Sharia level bad. This is the this is the argument I get all the time. If I tweet about something or you know write something about uh, daring to criticize something in the West. It's always like, well, what about Islam? Or even just another religion. If I criticize Christianity or Hinduism, it's like, well, what about jihadis? Yeah, yeah. okay, but not everything has to be that bad in order for us to be able to criticize it. Like, if that's how low our bar is, then we're not going to be able to better ourselves from anything then. If we're just like, oh, well, what about people blow themselves up? Well, what about ISIS? Well, okay, nothing's that bad here. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, a doctor who specializes in, you know, say um, the flu and someone, another doctor comes up and says, well, what about cancer? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, cancer's really bad. I agree. But can we also treat the flu? Is that all right? So just because the degree may be severer in some instances and in some senses doesn't mean we can't also address perhaps what you might call, I know, quote-unquote, lesser problems or problems with less severe consequences, and in some cases equally severe. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree with your point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole crowd that says feminism isn't needed in the West, and I couldn't disagree more with that. No, it's still necessary. It's still needed. Um, I'm, I'm, I tend to really... I tend to piss off the tribes that take me in a lot because... I don't follow the party line perfectly. You absolutely don't, which is why I find you really interesting. (laughs) Like, for example, I I support the cause of Black Lives Matter, but I'm also of the mind that the people who have been using Black Lives Matter, some of the people who have been using that, have been making some gross mistakes. Absolutely. Um, Saying that as a white guy is very controversial. I mean, how dare you? And I've gotten it, like, you know, pretty angry responses. But I think... Like, for example, and here I'm not supporting Milo. I think he's a child who has extremely uh, endearing charisma. I I really like his charisma. He's very charismatic. He's very funny. But he's he's a child. He he has a childlike outlook on the world, and he's an idiot. Yeah, Um, he's an idiot. But don't you think that downplays his harmfulness a bit? I mean, he's defended his pedophile priest before on air. Yeah, yeah, he uh, definitely he he's an absolute menace. Um, but I like to take people's personalities apart, and I say, well, I like his charisma, but that doesn't kind of trick me into liking everything he does. Or if he makes a good point about something, I can separate that out mm-hmm. from the rubbish that he says because I'm going to analyze it on my own. I'm not going to get caught up in a charisma frenzy. Yeah, well, um, I can totally agree that he's charismatic. That That's the only way he'd have so, such a large following, right? Yeah, but, I mean, he he's a Trump supporter, let's be honest. Um, his views are horrendous, beyond. I don't even know if he believes them. Sometimes, like, you see him smirking when he's saying things. Like, it's like he knows he's going to get a reaction for it, or is he just baiting people to bait people? But I think he is truly, um, I think he's toxic. Um so now, but, how is that different from you? Like, you know, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but no, you just said that you like to do that sometimes, right? Like, tweet about things that are getting a rise out of people. Yeah, well, as long as they're not going to disenfranchise people. Mm-hmm. But I think his rhetoric and, and combined with his charisma, I mean, his stance against Black Lives Matter 
whilst, and this is where I was going to make the initial point, where I, I think that the Black Lives Matter movement has made some mistakes when they interrupted his speech at one of the universities or his talk at one of the universities, blowing a whistle and, and dancing around. And as a non-American, because I see that as a very kind of American kind of behaviour, and I know that's bigoted, I'm so sorry. Perhaps <laughs> that's, that's one of my weak spots and I'll work on that. Um, but um, I, I see that kind of dancing around and blowing a whistle to interrupt someone instead of engaging them intellectually. I, I see that as very, um, I don't know, yeah, American. I think it's the only word I can put to it. Um, but I thought that was a huge mistake when they interrupted his Michael speech. Michael Sherlock, Americanophobe. That's what yeah. we're going to get for this. <laughs> no, but there's t- like tons of highly intelligent Americans. I mean, of course, I'm not generalizing all Americans, but you see this kind of, you know, this, I don't know, it's it's like a pop, I don't know, pop or movie kind of culture. I don't know what it is anyway. But um, it's is just there straight. Like ha- Sorry to interrupt. Is there hammering going on where you are? There is. The neighbors are building a house. Oh, okay. Strange. I, I can just, actually hear that. Just, they've just started now. Oh, of course. <laughs> Anyways, continue. We'll power through this. Yeah, sorry. So um, when they interrupt Black Lives Matter interrupted my life speech, I thought that was a mistake. Um, and I think they've made numerous mistakes. And some of the people that have been spearheads of the movement, I believe one of the women said something like, I, I just pray to Allah to come and kill all these white people. Oh, now. yes, so, that was in Toronto. That was a Canadian BLM person. Um, yes. That was just horrible. I mean... Like, what a stupid thing to say, and I mean, way to discredit your own cause, right? Like, what exactly. is the point? And, and you just feel the people that are already against the cause to start with from the get-go. You give them ammunition. Absolutely, and just what they did in Toronto Pride. I don't know if you heard about that. They stopped the Pride Parade here. Yeah, that was stupid. I think. In very, my very stupid. Because I imagine mean, the message. This is what I was talking with my wife about it, and I said, "Just imagine the message if the Black Lives Matter protesters had have shown up and walked hand in hand with the LGBT community. What a powerful message that would have been." Yeah, I think that that could win people more allies, right? To exactly. rain on somebody else's parade like that is. Like, I get it. Like, you're a minority. They're a minority. Why stop on their celebration of their rights? Like, I mean, several people have tried to explain to me, people who think that this was an an okay tactic, but I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was the, it was a very stupid strategic error. I think, on the part of Black Lives Matter to do that. Uh, They won themselves no friends by doing that. It's just not the right time and place, you know, Um, when another minority is trying to celebrate the rights they've won after going through such a struggle. I mean, I just feel like one minority kind of shitting on another minority. You should know better as a minority, right? How it feels. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And to... This is going to sound insensitive coming from a white person. Um, (laughs) But to pretend that racial inequality is the only form of inequality or or that um, minorities, ethnic minorities, are the only ones who receive injustice or are subject to injustice is, I think, a little narcissistic. 
and I know that's going to piss a lot of the people that like me because I've supported Black Lives Matter, but I'm sorry that the LGBTQ community, and I hate saying it, sounds like a sandwich. Anyway, the, the gay community um, have their own plights. They, they certainly have been discriminated against and have been, it's just, they've had a horrible time um, within their own families as well, which adds another dimension to it because it's not like you're born into a gay family, generally speaking. You, you know, you, you have those struggles as well. Um, so I think to do that was extremely stupid and insensitive and it just it defeats the purpose of supporting minority rights. I think it, it just flies in the face of that. Absolutely. And it's very much like, uh, well, what about us? And what about our struggle? Like, of course, that struggle is important. But do you really need to stop somebody else from from their thing? To highlight yeah. your struggle, just I, I get what you mean about narcissistic, and and yes, I mean there <laughs> there will be people pissed off at, at that, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have to be blanket support or blanket hate. Again, like I don't understand that um, extreme polarization. There's people who just like don't understand that there's a real grievance involved in why BLM has started. Like I totally understand that there is a real issue, but there's people who don't want to admit or they want to downplay that there is a problem, right? Yeah. And on the other hand, then there's those people who will turn everything into a race-related issue. So it's very hard to find that reasonable middle ground again. Yeah, it's it's like I, I say to my wife, and she usually objects to this statement because she's a very optimistic person she has faith in humanity um i think we as a species overrate ourselves extremely um and i i, I just i'm not i'm a people person individually but i just don't like groups too much and cultures and like massive groups i find groups to be overrated and horrible generally speaking even atheists i just i, I don't I, <gasps> blasphemy yeah, I, I know right so I don't know. Yeah, I, I like people on an individual basis, um, but I don't like human beings that much. <laughs> I can I can relate to that totally. I mean, yeah. <laughs> human be- human beings and cats. Um, oh, I like cats, but I have allergies. Unfortunately, I love cats. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm but, a dog. Per- I'm a dog person. Oh my gosh, Michael! Well, now we can't be friends. Well, no, I like dogs too, but I'm allergic to them too. But but That's how dare bad. you? How dare you insult cats on my podcast? That's right. I will. <laughs> fine, fine. I mean, I've had people on that have called my family like you know genocide supporters and stuff, and uh, I've been pleasant what, what to do you them. Mean? What do you mean? Well, you need to listen to some episodes. You should listen to the Tarek Fatah episode. It's a good one. I listened to the Mariam Namazie one because, I, I, as you probably know, I'm friends with Mariam. I really have a deep respect for Mariam and her work. Um, and I was lucky enough to meet her in Estonia, and we both gave a talk at the Rationalist International Conference. And she's just so lovely. So, yeah, I'm very she's interested. She's lovely, yeah. And I do appreciate that she calls out the... Um, the British far right as well as the Muslim far right, which is also rare. Um, but you know, she's been a controversial 
topic lately among atheists too, hasn't she? And I'm I'm sure she scratches her head over the fact that I'm also friends with Tommy Robinson. Um, Oh yeah, you're you're yeah. I've got so much to ask you. Go, sorry, continue. Yeah, I, I actually like him. I know I don't agree, obviously, with all of his opinions, but as we were speaking about before, what two human beings ever agree on everything. Um, but I have, and as I also said, I don't like human beings as groups. I, I assess people individually. To me, how I interact, how we interact as, you know, two human beings, and we've we've always had a good rapport. So, no, the thing is, I had a good one with. The, I had a great chat with Tommy as well um, on uh, G Spellchecker's podcast a couple of years ago when he had just left EDL yeah, and yeah. he had started working with Quilliam and and I saw this great documentary about him and Mo Ansar and Majid on the BBC. I forget what it's called, but I'll try to add a link. It just seemed like he was leaving behind his uh, kind of extremist ways, and I felt really hopeful about that so I wanted to extend a hand in friendship you know like sure he has had views in the past that I really don't approve of and he can be very tribal and and bigoted um but I felt like he's probably a guy that's had very negative experiences and people keep pushing him into corners and people keep turning him away maybe if uh, someone from the muslim community reaches out a hand in friendship and says look we're probably concerned about the same thing islamism or islamic extremism but yet we go about it in very different ways and how you go about it can actually be counterproductive so we had that conversation and he actually admitted that yeah it's not helpful when he groups people into like British lads versus Muslim lads. And I'm like, well, they're British too, you know? Yep. So he, he actually acknowledged that, yeah, it's probably not the best way to go about things. Um, so I, I left that conversation feeling that that's great. You know, I did challenge him on his views, but he was changing. It was helpful. Since then, Tommy has regressed a hundred percent. He's called for deporting Muslims. He's been like, you know, his account tweeted like a white genocide tweet. What is happening? Like he hasn't gone forward. He also kind of bashed Majid and Quilliam saying that they try to pay him off to leave EDL and that's why he left and he's just he's a mess yeah but and I he's just... like he's been horrible to Mariam I don't know if you saw his sexist uh, you know body shaming tweets to her no I didn't I, I missed that I would have definitely pulled him up on it if I did um, but yeah look, I grew up I guess to explain why I'm friends with a diverse range of uh, people who share or people who have different ideologies and different ways of going about things. I grew up with a father. I grew up as, uh, as my father was the, my sole parent. And um, he was the a spokesman for the Sydney Communist Party. Um, and he was a spokesman for the Maritime Union Association. And we used to get death threats and all that because he'd speak out in public about the abuse of corporate power with regards to ship owners and things like that. And so, but he would, he, so he's very left, extremely mm-hmm. left, was a communist. His parents were communists. My grandma went and visited and listened to Mao speak in China. Um, wow. So very communist. And I, I got taught the people's song uh, at a very young age and I'm not a communist. I don't, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't 
agree with communism. I think there's benefits to socialism, but I think communism is is cancer. But um, yeah, I think I'd have it, to agree. Which he'd, he'd strongly disagree with, obviously. But um, um, but I grew up in a house where a lot of his friends were far right. Um, I mean, not an overpower. He's obviously a lot were very left for communists as well. But he would have friends around who are far right, and it would just be yelling in the lounge room, like for an hour, yelling back and forth. And then all of a sudden, it would go quiet, and my dad would be like, "You want a cup of tea?" It's like, yeah, all right, thanks, Tony. And his name was Tony, and Dad would go make him a tea, and then bang, the shouting would continue. And mm-hmm. oh, it was a great mm-hmm. chat, mate. See you later. And so this was the kind of, I think, environment I grew up in, where you could be friends with someone who didn't share your opinions, who your your opinions were almost polar opposites. No, I mean, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, but there's like a, a kind of like an ethical line. Like, I can be friends with lots of people that I, I don't share opinions with. And I had a perfectly pleasant chat with Tommy. And we, you know, said we'd meet up for drinks if I was ever in the country. And, and I'd be happy to go for drinks with him even now. But I, if I think someone is a bigot, it's very hard for me to... I can be polite with them and converse with them. But to actually be friends with them, that's hard. Like, can you be friends with Anjum Chaudhry? And not that they're comparable. I know people are going to jump and be like, ah, oh, Tommy Robinson isn't like, I know they're not. No, he's a lot better. But, you know, this is the same thing. We don't have to go to the lowest example. Um, uh, look, and this is going to piss a lot of my fellow um, anti-Muslim atheists off. And I don't say anti Fellow anti-Muslim atheists. I mean, I mean, fellow atheists who are anti-Muslim. Okay. Sorry. Um, but if Anjum Chowdhury said, Look, I want to discuss these issues with you. I'll I'll buy you a drink. You you want to come and have a drink? Um, not that he would, but if he did, oh, be yeah, sure, mate. No worries. Let's go. Let's go have a drink. Let's go. Chat. That's and fine, then, though. But but yeah. can you call him a friend after knowing his views? Uh, look, I don't know. I, I mean, if that's a difficult question, because what if there there are other dimensions to him uh, that? We can relate. What if he's, say, a father as well and he has similar concerns and, and that's the main or the bulk of our... But then he's just going to come around and be like, well, I need to stick my daughter in a burqa soon and, and that illusion will be quickly shattered because I, I'm sure his bigotry will seep into a lot of stuff. So in that yeah. way, can you be friends with like a white genocide person? Well, obviously, I think the white genocide people are loons, um, but um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see as much as I, I say I dislike humanity or human beings. I don't see an individual as being representative of the lowest part of their character. Generally speaking, I think people are complex. And minds are complex. Um, so I don't know. It depends on my personal rapport with the person. Would I ever support something uh, that a friend who has different views, would I ever support their views just because they're my friend? No. Uh, I have my own mind. I have my own opinions. And I and those opinions are subject to change when good evidence and information comes along. Um, but 
I, no, I don't. No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding my question. I'm not saying that, you know, would you support their views, but can you, like, let me make this example even more extreme. Not Tommy, let's say, white supremacist, open KKK guy. Sure, you guys have different opinions, and you recognize the problems with his opinions, but would you be able to, like, break that down and only, like, focus on the good parts? Like, oh, yeah, we're both parents, we have that in common. Or is there, like, a line that you just can't cross in being friends with a certain type of person? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a really deep question and it involves so many variables that I the example doesn't give me. Um, <laughs> obviously, I can't support their ideas and I can't support uh, that kind of um, what do you call it that viewpoint and I find it disgusting but it depends again just because someone flies under a certain banner it could be the result of misguided upbringing it could be the result of um, misguided uh, I mean somewhere along the line they became um Delusional. Sure, but that could be jihadis too, right? Jihadis as well. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I don't like. I don't know. It's a very complex question. It's very. I don't think I can give you a straightforward answer, to be honest. (laughs) Okay. I mean, this is how I. This is how I view it. I don't see the point in befriending like a white supremacist or a jihadist. You know, if if. I could see that this jihadist or this white supremacist guy was like on the edge of kind of letting go of his beliefs and all he needed was some friendship in his life and maybe an alternative viewpoint. Then maybe I'd, I'd definitely work on it and be like, look, you can get yourself out of this. There's so much better uh, ways to think about the world. And But if someone's just set in their ways... Even like a non-violent Islamist, what is the point in trying to befriend them? And sure, Tommy is better than all those examples I just gave. And I once did see hope for him, which is why, you know, I said I'd be happy to go have a drink with him. I interviewed him and we had a really nice, pleasant chat and actually not pushing him into a corner, as I've seen a lot of times in his uh, interviews with the British mainstream media. He actually responds better when you don't just start off calling him like a racist or a this or, you know, then he'll actually be willing to admit to his mistakes. However, all that said, Tommy's charming and sure he had the following. He's just gone backwards. There's, there's been no effect of trying to reach out to him. And then people just tell me that he seems to morph into the views of whoever's interviewing him. Right. So when he's interviewing someone that's against anti-Muslim bigotry, he'll definitely put on this face and say, like, absolutely, I separate Muslims from Islam. But then the next day he'll go and say, well, all the Muslim adult males that have arrived here in the past 12 months should be deported. That's not really staying true to his words. And so then when he crosses that ethical boundary for me, I can't. You know, I can converse with him, I can chat with him, I can drink with him, but I cannot hold out hope for him or be his friend. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know where you're coming from. But also, I think you need to also acknowledge the fact that 
people's minds can be fluid and not just fluid but compartmentalized that is the mind is an extremely complex thing and yes people show a certain i guess face in certain circumstances but that doesn't mean that they're I don't know, what's the word? They're being uh, disingenuous. or It might actually be an aspect of his personality. Um, the white genocide side? The white genocide side as well as, <laughs> yeah, as well as the non-bigoted side, as well as these might be all components of his personality um, that share kind of the same space inside his mind. And yes, it's confused. Yes, it's obviously contradictory. And I think, I I believe this. I believe that all of us are hypocrites. I believe that every single human being is a hypocrite in some aspect. Mm -hmm. Some are less, some are more, some are like hypocrites, everything they say and do, but. Exactly. I'm a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. Um, That that's human nature. The reality is so complex. It, It, that we oversimplify it to control our environments to or to feel like we can control our environments. And in that process, we take certain stands. But we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It's, it doesn't quite fit. And so hypocrisy is the natural result of us, I think, trying to oversimplify reality. And we end up taking stands that are contradictory in some form or another, whether it's in our personal life or whether it's in our, I guess, public public life that uh, I think all human beings are hypocrites and I I think the fact that we we like to believe that we're not is is a mass delusion um, so I don't know this is getting to my point that I think you can't judge a person by an aspect of their character I, I think so then you can't judge a jihadi by by an aspect of their character like no if the jihadi is the jihadi is a bad example because you can certainly judge people by what they do uh, if they're killing someone or raping someone or doing that but if they believe we're talking about people with certain viewpoints not people who okay but i mean in regards to tommy he's uh, you know he's been to prison a couple yeah. of times i think he's been in fights uh you know, he's used, an, I think, an alias to get into the U.S. Like, I forget what the exact story was, but something like that. Didn't he use, like, a fake name or a fake passport? These are not legal things. Yeah, but I don't see, for me, and I don't want to sound like I'm advocating on behalf of Tommy Robbins and, <laughs> and all his views, but I do like him, I, I confess. Um, I don't agree with all of his views of course i don't um and that's quite obvious i think well yeah you're one of the few few people that are like hardcore atheists but also a very vocal about anti-muslim bigotry which i yeah. really appreciate but i don't understand where you know tommy robinson fits in and i say that as someone who did reach out to him in the past mm. tommy robinson yeah. of today not tommy robinson of two years ago 
Yeah, I think also with regards to the fights he's gotten into and all that, I'm not appraised of all of the facts um, in those areas. Um, did he initiate? I've seen videos where he was attacked. Yeah, I've seen that too, and that's um, horrible. And there was a recent incident where he had, I don't know, a bottle hit on his head and yeah. he was in the hospital. It's terrible. Yeah. I wish people would just oppose each other verbally and never physically. But Exactly. But um, So I'm not aware of what were the facts surrounding the fights he's gotten into or the facts in his imprisonment because uh, what I have seen is him and his family with his children go into a British pub and sit down to try and have a meal and be harassed by the police for no reason, sitting there with his children, having a meal with his family and be harassed by the police and then followed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, I'm not completely aware of the facts surrounding his imprisonment, but it, on that particular situation, I definitely supported him and retweeted him because that's bullshit that the police can follow you around because you have a certain viewpoint and harass you and yeah, harass Yeah, no, you. I agree with that. I think even he wore a T-shirt that said, fuck ISIS or something, and then he was banned from what, like a football game? That's right, yeah, yeah, I remember that too. And, and well, fuck ISIS, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, fuck ISIS. I think I, I retweeted him and supported him for that too. And uh, so I can understand what you're saying about separating these things. Um Again, I don't understand the fr- the friend part, but uh, yeah, hey, I maybe guess it's, maybe it's my definition of friend. Maybe that's because I find that when when two people don't understand each other over an issue, quite often it's to do with semantics. It's mm-hmm, quite often it's mm-hmm. to do with the way people are using words. Um, I don't know. Maybe my internal concept of friend is different from your internal concept, and so that's maybe where we're miscommunicating. Okay, let me just put it this way: Can you be friends with someone you think is a bigot? Can I be friends with? And in, in my understanding of in, friends, yes, in your understanding of friend and your understanding of bigot. What color are they? Does that matter? Yeah. I don't know. White. White. Okay. Um, yes, I can. If they're Maybe another like, color, brown? Yes, I can. What color of bigot don't you want to befriend? Purple. Okay, I don't think there's any danger of you meeting purple bigots. Yeah, so my point is that, look, people can be stupid. People hold stupid views and ignorant views. That doesn't necessarily bar me from finding something good in them as much as I'm a pessimist. Um, If I see redeeming qualities that I think can eventually one day, as you said, lead them out of bigotry or, or, I don't know, soften them a little bit. So that's when you see hope or you don't have to see hope, you're just going to keep trying? I think... mm, That's a good question. Yeah, maybe I still I see hope. Okay, because I, I mean I feel I'm the same way. If I see hope in someone, I'll happily reach out to them, whether they're a white supremacist or whatever, because I'd like to convince them to stop being that way. Yeah, of course, and I think if more 
more people from opposing viewpoints became friends, I think the world would be a much more peaceful place. I just shudder when you say friend, though, because I'm trying to picture myself in a friendship with a KKK person. I just, I can't do it. I'll reach out to them, but I just can't be their friend. I'll never okay. call them my friend, you know? What about, this, what about this situation? What if the KKK person genuinely liked you, Ina? But I'm as brown. A human being? Yeah, but they didn't care about that. They didn't care about that. For some reason, they didn't care about it. They liked you as a person. They thought you were wonderful. They thought you were fabulous. And every time you met them, they were just so polite, so nice, so warm, generous, giving. Could you be friends with that person? Only if I tried to use that as a doorway to show them that there can be other people of color that could possibly be okay you know that they could accept if they can like me then they can like other people of color then I can show them that they're not really a white supremacist that would obviously be a factor right that would obviously be a, a certain possible a possibility but that is again then I'm, I'm seeing hope I just again I guess if they really, I can't picture myself in a situation where there's a white supremacist that really is very sweet to me and likes me a lot that would be such a weird situation. It's hypothetical, obviously. Yeah. But um, I'm just saying if hypothetically that were the case, I mean, wouldn't yeah. you then be the, like you're saying, the advocate to try and at least recapture one mind, at least, you know, save one mind from the error that is white supremacy and bigotry and all these other pollutants that, Yes, but then our friendship yeah. would be focused on me trying to change that. It wouldn't just be like, hey, let's go, I don't know, let's go for a walk or let's go swimming. No, like we have, would have to actively work on their views like almost all the time because I couldn't just, I wouldn't be able to rest, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I completely understand. And if you see them behaving in a manner that is you know, conducive to white supremacy, then obviously you'd bring them up on it. Yeah. And as, as a friend in, this is the way I use the definition of friend, you would have some influence to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, if you win them over, then you, then, then you do have more influence. And I think that was my hope in trying to reach out to Tommy two years ago. Mm. And he was more receptive, but on the whole, I think he's gone backwards, not forwards. Um, and, and, and it's even stranger, this friend thing, because what happens if two of your friends or if one of your friends is like kind of being bigoted towards another friend? Uh, like, um, do you remember the Vive Charlie magazine and you stood up and uh, said that you no longer wanted to write for them anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, because, well, they attacked a friend of mine. And I, I wasn't advocating their being them being banned or anything like that or censoring them. I was just saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that because I consider Mariam Namazia a friend and I like my friends, the, the people that I respect, and don't, don't attack her. Yeah, no, I thought that was really awesome of you, you know. Yeah, um, I'm happy to talk about that because she's, okay, 
the guys behind Viva Charlie, um, I, I've had a good rapport with Joe um, in the past. And, I mean, I could still have a good rapport with him in the future. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't – I won't ever write for that magazine again. Um, but they're, they're, they're armchair activists, right? Um, they – they don't go to events and conferences. They don't go out and try and help ex-Muslims. And Well, they were trying that- to host a Draw Muhammad contest, I think it was, with a uh, with Paul Weston, who's uh, also co-heading Pegida with Tommy and is also an open white genocide YouTuber. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's a pretty open white supremacist, I think, and this is yeah, who they're... My, my point is that Mariam Namazia has done extremely important work, activist work. Absolutely. She's, she's faced off against, you know, angry Muslims who have been yelling at her in her face while she's been delivering, you know, an extremely eloquent speech, and she stays eloquent even in the face of such adversity and, and such anger um she's an extremely brave woman and I, I think that women like that men like that children like that deserve respect and so i became quite annoyed at that situation and i didn't want my name on that label so i i quickly separated myself from that magazine because no i respect mariam namazia very much and yeah I don't know if you're familiar with their other content, but it's not... It's pretty dubious, some of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I have to say that before I knew you, when I saw that you were associated with that magazine, I was like, oh my gosh, is he one of those like weird, bigoted, far-right atheists? But you're absolutely (laughs) the opposite of that. Well, I am, yeah. I'm certainly not a bigot. Um... If I if I if I were a bigot, I think my half Indian children would pick up on it pretty quickly <laughs> um, and berate me for it. Uh, and my wife would certainly kick my ass because she's strong. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not, and and that's not. A, I have black friends or I have brown friends and family, so I'm not a bigot. <laughs> call it sounded a lot like that, but it wasn't that. No, but um, no, I'm not. I I I see humanity as needing to come together, but I don't deny the fact that we are not yet together. Uh, Racial inequality should not exist, but racial inequality does exist. So I think it's important to be realistic and idealistic at the same time and balance those um, facets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so no, yeah. I think that those are some wise words. Okay, so moving on from that topic... Uh, was it C.J. Whirlman that accused you of inspiring Craig Hicks? Yep. Uh-huh. So the guy who murdered three Muslims at Chapel Hill? Yeah. And I guess he followed you on Facebook or something, and so C.J. Whirlman took this as a reason to say that you inspired those murders? Yeah, he was a he was an atheist who had been a fan of many different Facebook pages, and it just so happened that on the day that CNN screenshotted his um, 
his own Facebook page. Uh, a few of my posts were on his page that he'd shared them from my Facebook page. And so CJ Wellerman took that ball and just ran with it and said, well, Michael Sherlock inspired the Chappahoo killer, which was complete nonsense because most of the things he'd shared from my page were anti-Christian, uh, not anti-Muslim. I'd heard in an interview with comments he'd made on Facebook or something like that, that he said he preferred Muslims over Christians. He found Christians more annoying Mm -hmm. than Muslims. And, and yeah, so he obviously didn't kill them. I think, I don't think you can attribute it to anti-Muslim bigotry or, I mean, you can't discount the possibility that it may have been a factor, but I, it doesn't look likely. It doesn't Mm -hmm. look like the likely scenario. And I think the issue more, with that situation is um, mental health and gun control in the US. Um, I think the US needs to invest a lot more in both of those things. Um, so did you ever like try to resolve this with CJ or try to explain to him how ridiculous? I know that's a that's a pointless thing to do, even try to explain to CJ. Um, but just like... It must be really frustrating to be accused of something like that when you have nothing, nothing to do with it. You can't, I mean, blame the people that murderers read or, you know, are we going to blame Chomsky um, for inspiring bin Laden? Yeah, exactly. It's it's absurd. Um, and I did, after I received threats and threats on my children, I did reach out to him and said, look, look at the consequences of your callous actions. Oh, that's, I'm so sorry. And I was really angry, very, very angry, as you can imagine. Um, and I did. But um, again, it was a month after I reached out to him and said, look, stop it, you're being stupid. He did it again. He retweeted that. And so... I was just like, uh, I don't know. And then recently, Talib Kweli, the rapper. So many people that I follow have been giving this guy so much attention. I don't even know who he is, but he's just always on my timeline. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Just leave him alone. Ignore him. Yeah, no, but he um, he jumped on that as well and said, you're the guy who inspired the Chappahoo killer and all this shit to millions oh, of his dear. followers plus and all this nonsense. It's just, see, this is why I don't like human beings. Um, oh, I but, get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's, and people, okay, being friends with CJ, how about that one? Yeah, I could. Yeah? Yeah, I could. Honestly, I'm speaking honestly, I could. <laughs> I, I, I find him misguided. I find him. I find his views half baked and ridiculous and even poisonous. Um, but yeah, I think I could. After what he said about you inspiring murders. After what he said, yeah, I could. I could forgive him if he was sincere in his apology <clears throat> and he he made amends in some manner. Uh, yeah, I could. I could. I don't really. I don't hold grudges. I'm not very good at holding grudges. I could be friends with Talib as well. I go, uh, these are people that have, you know, attacked me personally, attacked my family. I could still, I could, I could, to be honest. Well, you're a much better person than I. <laughs> you, you know, that's uh-huh. really, that's really, that's really big of you. I don't think that after um, having my kids threatened or how being accused of inspiring murders, I could go on and just befriend someone i guess maybe after apologies i don't know after someone sincerely apologizes these things can happen but it's hard for me to entertain that thought right now you know yeah oh certainly at the time when it was ripe Mm -hmm. uh, 
I would have given you a different answer had we had this interview then. <laughs> um, but, you know, when things calm down, like life, it, life is sometimes... Sometimes we take it too seriously, I think. I mean, look at us, we, we live on a speck in an ocean of planets and we're only here for a short time and we tend to, I guess, exaggerate our self-worth and, and our opinions and our, our place in this universe. And I think sometimes when you look at the big picture, uh, you tend to take life not quite as seriously. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, don't know. no, I think you're right. And I think um, being on social media really kind of uh, exaggerates this. Uh, whatever's happening to you is the worst thing in, in the world and whatever issues you care about are the most important in the yeah. world. Because I guess you find a lot, a lot of instant responses and um, I don't know what kind of long-term effects this could have like t- Twitter-like things could have on us you know this instant yeah. gratification and instant responses to things it's it's strange to think about that and there's also I read a good book on psychology in the internet um, a few years ago and um, I can't remember the name of the psychologist who did the study but they brought up this new theory called toxic disinhibition and it's where obviously you're anonymous or a lot of people are anonymous on Twitter and social media and so they uh, that works as a disinhibitor for uh, I guess bad behaviour for toxic behaviour. Yeah, I can see that. tend to be a lot more toxic because there are less consequences than when you are face-to-face with someone um, and when you're not anonymous, when you, you're out there. And so I think that that's certainly another factor that can uh, alter behaviour and also alter the discourse, the, 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 the kind of the level of the discourse that we're having over certain subjects can be affected by this toxic disinhibition. So I think that's an interesting thing. Yeah, but do you think that controlling people's anonymity, like how Facebook does, like a lot of ex-Muslims, including myself, have been kicked off of Facebook. I've been banned from it twice. My podcast has been banned on YouTube twice when other people uploaded the same exact podcast to their channels. It was there without a problem. Um, it's just me that I guess people report and target or whatever. And so Facebook has this real name policy, which uh, they like a lot of ex-Muslims get targeted for because they don't use their real names because it's not safe for them to use their real names. Exactly. I think they should certainly change that policy. And I think they should stop targeting um, ex-Muslims as they, they obviously are. Um yeah, that's again. That's where I, I will speak out against the regressive left. Mm-hmm. That's the aspect of the regressive left I'm extremely keen on on targeting. It's so weird how a lot of the like the liberal politicians just fall into that category, and it's so frustrating because otherwise they might be great people, but it's just this one topic they can't. They can't wrap their head around or they don't want to deal with it. You know, like Obama, Mm. um, he's not really good on Islam. He's horrible on Islam. He's he's terrible on the issue. And it it just saddens me that the politicians that I like the most are the worst Mm -hmm. at addressing Islam. Um, I like Obama. I like a lot of his policies. Me too, yeah. But when it comes to Islam, he's just... 
And again, there's there's obviously a balance he needs to take as as a influential world leader, and as the the president of a country that has a large Muslim population, he can't be out there saying, "Well, Muslims are evil and all this stuff." Because yeah, no, of course you have to right? be kind so of. He has to be careful, but he he's so unbalanced with mm-hmm. it that I think it can do damage to ex-Muslims and minorities in the Muslim world who are well, suffering in the Muslim world. Well, Muslims too, because then they start being seen as this minority that's protected, that's given special status, that gets special yes. privileges. And then the yeah. people who are bigoted towards us, um, they, they're they angrier about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a lot of, I think Ali Rizvi's made that argument as well, that, you know, a lot of the, I guess, the dropping of the ball on this issue by liberals has allowed right-wingers to pick it up. And the way they pick up the ball is they just throw it at anyone who looks Muslim. Yeah. Um, which is there, you know, because they're, they're not the brightest bunch in the world, the right-wing. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. They're not. I'm not going to oppose you on that. Yeah, so I think it's important that intellectuals and liberal intellectuals pick up the ball on this issue, and I think Bill Maher has been quite good at that. Um, He stands with a lot of the right issues, in my opinion. Uh, Well, I agree with him. And he's actually very, like, he's very liberal when it comes to, he'll still bash, like, conservative Christians. He doesn't pretend America is perfect because there is a lot of that happening when you get people who are willing to speak about Islam. They tend to be very protective over the West and know there's no racism, know there's no sexism. We don't need feminism. But Bill Maher is right on all those things. And that's where I agree with most, like, I guess you could call me a Bill Maher atheist Um, (laughs) because yeah and a lot of people comment a lot of my followers will say you're so progressive when it comes to Islam but so regressive when it comes to race and gender and it's like "Mm, okay well that's you I guess but um, I think now it's gotten to the point where if you're not like Donald Trump some people will call you regressive yeah but Donald Trump speaks his mind yeah except for when he didn't mean to say certain things yeah, then he didn't speak his mind, but right. he, he speaks his mind. All right, that's that's all you need to know about Donald Trump. That's, that's all you need meme. to know. That's the meme, the Donald Trump meme. Mm-hmm. He speaks his mind except for when he didn't mean to say that one thing. and Yeah. <laughs> couldn't denounce the KKK. And, and the fact that he's got a platform, uh, a fairly significant platform in the U.S., I think is testimony to the fact that a large portion of the U.S. is 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 it's, it's an idiocracy. I think. I mean, there are, as I said, there are highly intellectual people in the U.S. But I think, I don't know. I don't have a lot of hope for the U.S. I'm not one of those atheists that are so pro-U.S. or anything like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and again, that could be my father's influence because he was obviously a communist, and he didn't like the U.S. at all. Um, maybe that's my brainwashing from a child. Michael Sherlock, Americanophobe. That's what I'm going to title this podcast episode. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not going to title it that. But no, I can, I can see there are crit- there are fair criticisms to be made. Absolutely. I mean, I'm North American. I'm not American, but uh, I think people think we're similar. Oh, do you think? Do you have that impression that Canadians are just like Americans, or do you see a distinction? I think it was 
you know the comedian Russell Peters, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Russell Peters, I, I could be wrong, who was visiting New Zealand, did a show in New Zealand, and he said, I feel a kinship with you because you're a small country next to a big asshole." <laughs> and I'm saying this as an Australian, so I do concede. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I see Canada as somewhat akin to New Zealand. They're the friendly nation next to the toxic one. Um <laughs> That's that's the way I see. Again, I have a lot of American friends. I there's a lot of things about America I really like. But again, yeah, as Stephen Fry said that when you like something, you you want to criticize it to help it. No, yeah, and, I totally get that, and that I think that's really endearing about the states too. How some of their like late night comedy TV shows make a lot of fun of themselves. Yeah. I wish that we could have that, like, in Pakistani culture, for example. That would really improve us so much if we were able to mock ourselves like that. Yeah, I met a, a humanist. He's a Pakistani humanist at the last conference I was at in Taiwan. And um, he, it was really hard for him to get out of Pakistan to attend the conference. And the Humanist Association got him out. And um, such a lovely human being. But he sends me he sends me um, the latest stories from Pakistan now because he lives in Lahore. Um, but, um, yeah, he was saying that you have a real big problem in Pakistan, especially up, you know, in Lahore, in that region. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where Asia Bibi is being, yeah. you know, held Yeah, on you've it. been really vocal on that too, which I really appreciate. Um, yeah, it's important. I mean, and this is one thing that pisses me off about people is we're so tribalistic. And this is what pisses me off about the regressive left. They're like, well, why don't you talk about problems in the West? Yeah. And don't worry about other countries. It's like, well, why can't we just see humanity as one group? Like, Exactly. Yes, like we're part of the human tribe. Yeah, exactly. We come from different nations. We, we have different, you know, divides in different areas that are mostly illusory. Um, but why can't I be an activist and employ my principles equally across the board with regardless of whatever nation uh, is, is, you know, persecuting or, or you know, viciously um, hurting the anti-regressive mirrors this when they do things like, you know, tell actual critics of Islam who spend most of their time criticizing Islam, as soon as they criticize something else, that, but what about Islam? But what about Islam? You know? Yeah. The exactly. regressive left will be like, well, but what about the West? I mean, someone actually blocked me because I didn't agree with them that Malala was shot in the head because of white supremacy. Okay. I, <laughs> so I mean, was, that's. Was it? Well, sorry, I don't understand the point. The point what is that? that she wasn't shot in the head because of religious Islamic fundamentalism. It was somehow related to the West and white supremacy. Who said that? Um, a popular Indian leftist. Okay, that's an interesting viewpoint. Is there any support for that? There's no support for that. Absolutely not. But, I mean, people turn everything into white supremacy being the problem, right? Like, But when jihadis are killing other Muslims, it's certainly, it's not white supremacy that's the problem. And this is, this is another problem as well, the way the West, many of the liberals in the West view Islam um, and I think Majid Nawaz called it the bigotry of low expectations and I think that was a... a, It was Ayan, wasn't it? Oh, Ayan, maybe, possibly Ayan, sorry. It may have been. Um, But um, it's this 
well, Muslims are the downtrodden brown people and we need to be there. It's like, okay, but, and yeah, their, their culture has this and we have to respect that. And it's like, isn't that bigotry? Isn't that a form of bigotry to say that? And besides the fact that you're stereotyping all Muslims as mm-hmm. being brown and in this manner and being downtrodden, I mean, Saudi Arabia is hardly down. Yeah. Um, the Malala thing, yeah. Yeah, that was a stupid opinion that it's to do with white supremacy. I agree. Yeah, it was really stupid. And then, I mean, I got so many insults for it, but that's what happens. And then on the other end, I get, like, it's what I call a hate sandwich, right? So sometimes I'm too Muslim <clears throat> that, uh, for people, I'm an Islamist, and other times I'm an Islamophobe. So the Islamist Islamophobe. And then sometimes I'm an MRA, sometimes I'm a feminazi. So how can I be all those things? Yeah, I've been accused of being all those things. Not an Islamist, but an Islamist apologist. And because yeah. I, I say we shouldn't collectively blame Muslims, um, uh, all Muslims for the crimes committed by Islamists, I do point out the reality that it is a minority within the entire Islamic community or the Muslim community that are jihadists and Islamists. Mm-hmm. Um so of course, when I say these things, when I when I speak the facts as they appear to be, you know, people obviously accuse me of being, you know, a, a Muslim apologist, a regressive leftist, and yeah. So I get accused of all those kinds of things as well. It's yeah, strange. It's lovely, and when you piss everyone off, then you're probably doing something right. Yeah, I think I think if more people get pissed off, uh, maybe they'll just wake up a little bit you know i think we're, we we tend to be quite complacent as well uh at least when we're not facing actual adversity when adversity comes in the form of social media yeah hello hello yeah i'm here <laughs> okay well i mean the podcast gods really don't want this to happen <laughs> We've had hammering, we've had drilling, we've had lost internet connections, but we managed to get a solid hour in. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for having me. No, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. We talked about all kinds of interesting stuff and things that are way too taboo to discuss amongst atheist circles. So I hope that you and I do not get um, too much hate after this. Yeah, I don't really care to be honest okay well that's good send all your hate to him not me no 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 nobody send any hate to anybody i was only kidding it was lovely talking to you michael thank you so much thank you for having me all right i'll see you out in twitter world all right take it easy oh before i go can we talk about you raising funds for your research just so that we can direct people to um you you're doing some research on islamism Yes. Um, when I finish my master's degree, which is in January, um, I'll be yes beginning a very in-depth and comprehensive research project on Islamism. And I'm interested to help me fund that because obviously I'm going to need a lot of time. I'm going to be spending quite a lot of money researching, going to debates, going to conferences. And so I'm trying to raise funds to get support to do that. Because my the university that I'm currently at won't support me in this area of research. Because it's Islamophobic, or yeah, because it's seen as this. Well, the the is the scholars of Islam who sent me emails back said, well, what about Judaism? 
or and they also said, well, most Muslims are peaceful. <clears throat> so they obviously read like the first line of the research proposal and thought it was terrible. <clears throat> when I think it's a very important question to address the some of the core doctrines of Islam and Islamism and jihadism and this the Salafism the Salafism that is becoming more and more popular. Um, so I. Yeah, I, I, I've been shut down in academia, so I, I'm going to go it on my own. But yeah, gonna... I think that's a brilliant idea. If you know the link offhand, just say it. Otherwise, I'll add a link to the podcast. Oh, um, maybe I'll send you the link. Okay, so I'll add it in the description and people can go there if they want to support you. Uh, I think it's a very good cause and I think we need diverse types of people researching this because it's always like someone that's a pro-religion person that's researching religion and writing about religion. And it's, it's, you know, we need some other viewpoints. We definitely do within, especially within academia. I mean... I'm doing a, a master's in studies in religion, and um, all of my supervisors, my professors, are religious in somewhere or another. Oh dear. One of them, one of them isn't, <clears throat> and she's been very supportive. But um, she doesn't have the skills in Islam to help me in this area. She's more versed in Christianity and other religions, mm-hmm. um, but she's been very supportive. Um, however, yeah, most of them are either very sympathetic to the religion to the point where we can't be critical of it or they belong to the religion which obviously then you can't be critical of absolutely it. yeah i mean and that's where that's where the scholarly consensuses are coming from and it's the same problem we have with like for example studying jesus mythicism that is the 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 hypothesis that Jesus didn't even exist. They, the um, Christians will point to the scholarly consensus regarding his historical nature. Mm-hmm. And, but what you don't realize is that scholarly consensus all comes from Christians. Right. Who obviously believe he was a historical person. I'm not a myth. I'm not a mythicist. I don't say he wasn't a historical human being at the core of that, that legend. Um, but we have to admit that the consensus has been coming from within the religion and we need more secular scholarship and those who are unbiased um, to examine these issues. Absolutely. I mean, we can't just ask Scientologists for their opinions on Scientology, right? So I don't see why we need to be happy with religious uh, people's opinions on major religions power to you michael everyone should go follow you on twitter if they're not already i'm sure that half the people listening to this are already following you at least at sherlock michael and yeah thanks so much it was super fun talking to you no problem Ina. thank you for having all right take care you too bye 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 Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangos. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck 
for theme music, sound, and production help.